Before Theresa comes up and read the scripture, it is good to have Stephen and Jatika back as the stewards. Can we get them a congratulation? They married now. They, they married. Now their sanctification can really start. So get ready. They're going to be more godly in a year from now. I promise you that. No, but we, uh, we're excited uh, that they're back. The rest of you want to come and read scripture. We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and uh, get there. Um, when you're there, say amen. amen. Everybody say, what up, T-Dub? That's what's what we up? call on Epic Nights. We call her T-Dub. <laughs> but up here, she's Teresa. <laughs> Go ahead, sis. Um, I'm going to read in Spanish first. Romanos 7, de 1 a 6. ¿Acaso ignoráis, hermanos, pues hablo a aquellos que conocen la ley, que la ley es enseñaray del amor del hombre entre tanto que esté viva? Que esté, que esté viva. Porque la mujer que tiene marido está ligada por la ley a su marido mientras él vive. Mas si el marido muere, él queda libre de la ella queda libre de la ley del marido. Así que si viviendo su marido se casa con otro hombre, será llamada adultera. Pero si su marido muere, ella queda libre de la ley. Y si es, se casa con otro hombre, no será adultera. Así también vosotros, mis hermanos, habéis muerto de la ley por el cuerpo del juicio para que seáis de otro, de aquel que resucitó de entre los muertos, a fin de que llevamos fruto para Dios. Porque cuando, está, cuando estábamos en la carne, la influencia de pecado, que era por la ley, obra obraba en nuestros miembros, llevando fruto para muerte. Pero ahora somos libres de la ley, habiendo, habiendo muerto a, la, a lo que nos tiene sujetos para, su, para que sirvamos en no, novedad de espíritu y no en lo antiguo de la tierra. Now I'll read it in the version I could do better. Hey, we didn't know anyway. <laughs> or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at the work of our member to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. Amen. That is God's holy infallible word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, God of all grace and mercy, God, we pray that in this hour and in this moment that you would be with our hearts, that you would convict, you would strengthen, and God, that we would feel the power of your grace. Lord, open our minds to receive, humble us under your word. Do what only God can do. Transform and conform your people into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do what you got to do to make us more like you. We ask this in Christ's name. And everybody say. In sermon preparation, usually uh, it consists of quite a bit of reading and research and trying to find things to help illustrate uh, more powerfully what the text is trying to say. In, in my digging, I came across an article uh, summarizing a science fictional book called The Island, written by Moreau by H.G. Wells. I think I got his name wrong. 
In summary, the protagonist finds himself shipwrecked on a mysterious tropical island under the iron control of Dr. Moreau. The brilliant scientist has created monstrous human animals, giving wolves, pigs, and bulls, and other creatures the, some of the aspects of the human appearance, personality, and abilities. Yet, at the heart, they are still animals. Maru keeps them in line through constant repetition of the law, a long series of commands that these human animals must chant daily. Some of them go like this. One of the commands are not to go on all four. That is the law. Are we not men? The other one that they have to chant is not to eat fish or flesh. That is the law. Are we not men? Another one is not to claw the bark of the tree. That is the law. Are we not men? The last one that these animal human creatures must chant is not to chase other men. That is the law. Are we not men? The question is, does the law work? Can it curb animal instincts? Yes and no. It restrains them during the day, but at night the animal nature rises. The narrator observes that the law battle in their minds with the deep-seated, ever-rebellious cravings of their animal nature. This law they were ever repeating, he says, I found in ever-breaking. In other words, no matter how much he command the animal to act like a human or chant human laws, Whatever he told the animal to do at the end of the day, the nature would win against the law because the animal can only be what it is at its core. Are you following me this morning? It may be able to do some acts as a human, but at heart, it is an animal. This little book gives us a clear picture of what we have been learning in Romans, if you've been paying attention. Those who try to live a godly life, or those who try to transform their lives, or those who try to overcome their sin nature by just trying to follow the commands of God by human effort, make no bones about it, will fail every time. Oh, I'm coming to your house this morning. Because no matter how much we try to act holy in our flesh, we are not holy. Apart from God's grace, we are slaves to sin. Why are we slaves? Well, like them animals, the law may be able to restrain you for a time. But one song said, the freaks come out at, at night. Now, I know y'all acting holy and y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But some of y'all was out late last night, if we were to be honest. The law can't liberate you. From your sinful nature, you inherited from Adam, and it will arise, and you will act out who you are. And who are you before salvation? Sinners. All of you. Every last one of you, including me. The lip gloss can't cover it up. Remember, Paul gives a vivid description of us in Romans 1. Can I take y'all back this morning? Romans 1, he says this. We are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. That's some creativity for you. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Paul, hold up. You came at our head. You see, the issue, Christian, unbeliever, is deeper than what we do, but who we are. God doesn't want us just to change what we do, but he wants to change who we are. We need to go from sinner to saint. And here's our dilemma. 
We do not have the power to change who we are just as much as those animals couldn't change who they are. Human beings do not have the ability and the power within themselves to change their identity. But what have we been learning about the gospel? Oh, pay attention. Back up in chapter 5, we saw that we used to live ungodly lives. That was in chapter 5, verse 6. And if you went down a couple more verses, it says that we had sinful lives. In fact, willfully sinful lives. We didn't sin on accident. We were sinning on purpose. And in 510, it says, Paul tells us that we were enemies of God. Ain't that something? An enemy of God. But what does God do? I'm so thankful that there is a God. He reconciles us to himself. But how does he do it? By sending Jesus to die for our sin. Let me step back. Y'all ought to shout it when I said that. Y'all not with me. Then let me say it again. How did God save us? By sending Jesus to die for our sin. I wish my church was with me this morning. And how did he die? He died on the cross. And God raised him up from the dead so that if you put your faith in Jesus, God saves you from his wrath and declares you righteous. All of your sin is paid in full and God grants you what? Eternal life. This is great news. This is great news. But it is not all of the great news. Many of us celebrate the part of the gospel that says Jesus justifies us, but there is more to the gospel. The same gospel that justifies is the same gospel that sanctifies. See, the gospel is like that two-step peel. It's, it's one peel, but it has two effects. The first part acts fast to bring down the fever immediately. But then it has a second part that dissolves slowly, fighting the fever longer throughout the day. The gospel doesn't just take away the penalty of sin, but it takes away the power of sin. <laughs> and how does it do it? Take away the power of sin. Y'all pay attention because this right here will get you going in your Christian walk. The gospel takes away the power of sin by changing our nature. How does it change the nature? By killing the old one. Okay, look again at chapter 6. Y'all need some scripture. I see I'm not coming through yet. Beginning at verse 11, chapter 6. Even so, watch it closely. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, what we've been learning is when Jesus died, we died. And when we died, our own nature died. When Jesus raised to new life, we raised to new life. And our new nature began. I got to calm down. I got a long way to go, and I'm getting excited already. Now, since our nature has been changed, we don't act holy. We are holy. Therefore, Paul goes on to say this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't give your body over to sin. But, but instead, watch this, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. You know you've been resurrected in here, Christian. And your members as instruments of righteousness to who? To God. Paul tells us to live different because we are different. But the only way we can continue to live different is by looking to the gospel, not to the law. Yes. 
I hope you heard that. That is extremely important. The way we progress in our sanctification is not looking to the law, but looking more to the gospel. Chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Watch this. I bring scripture just so y'all know that I'm not making this stuff up. For sin shall not be master what? Over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. I'm 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 gonna get to that in a minute. Friends, it is only when we live under grace that we live victoriously over sin. How can sin possibly reign anymore? Only when we choose to let it. Only when I look back at the law can sin ever reign over me. Why? Because when I'm looking at the law, I'm not looking at the Lord. I am depending on myself. I am not depending on his grace, but upon my flesh. I'm trying to build my own righteousness. And you have no righteousness apart from Jesus. That is, this is what Paul wants us to see in chapter 7. And what I want to help us in today is further our understanding of the gospel. I want to do that by showing you Christians don't need to live with Mr. Law, but Mr. Grace to live a godly life. Well, friends, first and foremost, who is Mr. Law? Look at the verse. Or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those of you who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. I know there's a lot of scholars in here, so I had to do my homework. Out of the 77 times the word law is used in Romans, it is used 23 times in chapter 7. In other words, almost one-third of the time that it is used in the whole book is in this chapter alone. It is critical that we understand who Mr. Law is if we are going to understand this chapter. Well, Paul gives us a great clue that points us to who he is. And it's, when you're looking at the scripture, you're like, okay, who is Mr. Law? Does the text give me anything to help me understand who Mr. Law is? And so Paul actually does give us a clue because he says this, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So whoever he is writing to, knows who Mr. Law is. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church of Rome that consisted of Jewish converts and God-fearing Gentiles who also studied the Old Testament law. Mr. Law is he who was introduced to Moses. For the law was given through Moses, according to John 1.17, and I want you to keep that in your mind. John 1.17, for the law... was given through Moses. He is also known as the Ten Commandments, or the other 600 given in the Old Testament. And I don't even like to touch the other 600. I got trouble with the (laughs) ten. Don't tell me about the rest of them. I got to get these down right here. Some of us failed at it today, including myself. We will see in a few moments how many in Israel twisted the Mosaic law into legalism. That is, they severed it, according to John Piper, from its foundation of faith. They failed to stress the dependency on the Spirit and thus turned the commandments into a job description for how to earn the wages of salvation. Now come up close and listen. Not only can the law not save those who are not lost, It can't help those who are saved become more righteous, or some of you may say more saved. Christians don't live with Mr. Law. Here's Paul's proposition. His proposition is that the law of God only applies as long as one is alive. The law only applies as as long as one is alive. This is good stuff. Now watch how he makes his point with the gospel. And I really want us to be a church that stands with both feet on the gospel. Not one feet on the law and one feet on the gospel. I want us to live entirely with our new spouse, Mr. Grace. We don't need a divided household. You don't need anything else but grace. So where is he going? 
Here is where he's going. That obedience to the law of God is a condition for right standing before God doesn't apply because we died with Jesus when we died on the cross. Death annuls our responsibility to the law. We now live, we live, we used to live with Mr. Law into death did us part. Now watch how he illustrates this with marriage. He begins with what everybody knows and agrees with. Look at the verse. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. And depending on where you're at in your marriage, that may be a daunting verse for you. <laughs> as long as her husband is alive, she remains a wife, his wife. Marriage binds them together. The term here is dio for bound. It is used to mean that which holds someone under restriction. And I just did a couple weddings, um, and they called me father during the wedding. That's an inside joke there. Should have wore the collar today. But, but I witnessed couples bind themselves to each other. In their vows, they said, until death do us part. And I like to put that in bold. You better read that, and you better read it good. Until death do uh, par. Stephen, you know a little bit about that, don't you? <laughs> In other words, neither of us can get out of this except by death. Now, don't be sending no threats. <clears throat> I heard the pastor loud and clear. Either get it together or else it's going down. You ain't leaving me. But because we are tied to one another, me and Paige, and to death do us part, we are no longer available to anyone else. Now, there may be some other fish in the sea, but there's a couple fish that have been taken out of the sea. Now, that might not mean much to us in America, but it means a whole lot to God, and it means a whole lot to the law. Now watch the verse. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Again, all would agree. If a husband dies, the wife is released from that covenantal vow in relationship. Her identity is no longer as a wife to that husband. She keeps his name and certainly keeps her love, depending on how she feels. But from the perspective of the law, the law no longer is binding. Y'all know I'm crazy. The law is no longer binding. She is free to marry. The law has no jurisdiction over her. In other words, it means the law can't lord over her. It is not sovereign over her. It cannot control her. Death frees her from the law of marriage, and she can't be condemned as an adulteress. She is released. I just word released that he uses here come from the word categro or argo, which means to be idle or inactive. Accordingly, he goes on to say, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Once a husband dies... From that moment, she is free from the responsibilities to that marriage. She is free to marry the next day if she wishes. Upon the death of her husband, she's no longer bound to him. She is free to marry another man. Death broke the bondage. Death freed her to remarry. Now, some folks may talk about her. Some may say that it's not wise to marry the next day. Some may say that it's untactful, but nobody can call her an adulteress because the law has no power over her any longer. The law cannot condemn her. Death has freed her. Now watch what he says. Come on, Paul. This is a bad brother. I'll be reading Paul. I'm like, this boy know what he's doing. Come on, work the text, Paul. You something bad. And I love when they put the illustrations in the text. That just makes my preaching all that much easier. I say thank you, God. You knew I needed this this week. 
Anyways, look at the verse because it gets better. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. That's good right there. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Hold your shout. In the marriage illustration, we are the wife. The law was our first husband. Death ended that relationship to the law. So in my BC, before Christ, I was Dexter, flesh, hyphenated law. But in my AD, after my deliverance, I'm Dexter Grace now. See, I used to be Dexter, flesh, law. But Jesus delivered me from that. And now I'm Mr. Grace. Hello, how are you? I'm Mr. Grace. Nice to meet you. Now, how did my last name change? Why am I not cheating on the law? Jesus' death ended my marriage to the law. We are no longer bound to the law. Why? Death ends the relationship. Here's Paul's point. When Jesus died through union with Christ, we died with him. I want to keep hitting this point over and over again. The cross and our unity by faith to Jesus ended our relationship to the law. It's no longer binding both for death And we no longer need the law as a means to be right with God. See the gospel and marvel at it. When Jesus died, we died. His death freed us from the obligation of the law. Our marriage with Mr. Law ended. But look at the verse. We were raised with Jesus. So when Jesus got up, We got up, but we were not raised to singleness, to do what we want to do. We have gotten remarried to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Man, this this is good. And I'm just telling y'all, the Bible good all by itself. I'm just telling y'all what it says. That's all I'm doing right now. Church, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have a husband. Now notice this phrase in the verse. To another. This word is hetheros. Another, it means another of a different kind. In other words, Christ is not like Mr. Law. He's much different. You got a better husband. You just upgraded. That marriage, that last marriage was full of shame and death. But this new marriage is full of life and eternal life if we stick with him. Friends, ain't nobody like Jesus. I cannot say it like the old folks used to say it. Ain't nobody like Jesus. They didn't have the big theological terms. They didn't have the fancy words. But when it came down, when when all they can see in their soul, when they behold him, the only thing that they can utter was, ain't nobody like Jesus. Ain't nobody like Jesus. I wish I had some people in the room that knew, ain't nobody like Jesus Christ. Friends, we have been joined with Mr. Grace. You do know that Jesus is Mr. Grace. Pastor, how do you know that Jesus is Mr. Grace? Man, I'm so glad y'all asked. I did my research. I did my homework. I went back over. Y'all remember that verse I told y'all to remember, right? John chapter 1, verse 17. Well, I only gave y'all half the verse. Let me give you the rest of it. Remember, Moses introduced us to the law. But the verse says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that he's a God of grace. Every time we talk about grace, we're talking about Jesus Christ. You know that grace got a name. Grace got a personality. Grace is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me brag on them for a minute. I remember when they were beating him. I remember when they put nails in his hands and they put and they and then they and they put him high and they stretched him wide. And for you and me, he died. But here's the thing: in the midst of his pain. 
in the midst of his suffering. He didn't cuss them out. He didn't get mad. Instead, he actually defends his enemies. He said, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You don't understand the God that you're serving. I'm talking about Mr. Grace this morning. He is different than Mr. Law. He is much different, and we are joined to Christ. In order, what was the purpose of being joined to Christ? What does the verse say? In order that we may what? Bear fruit for God. Our redemption was in order to produce righteousness. God saved us so that we might produce righteousness. Your salvation has a purpose. Your salvation is not for you to live how you want to live, but God's purpose is so that you may produce righteousness. <laughs> we are delivered from the law and the power of sin so that we might be united to Christ, and we are united to Christ so that we might bear fruit unto God. Being united to Jesus is all you need to live godly. And I'll explain that in a minute. But first, let me explain why living under the law actually can't help you in your fight against sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says this. The power of sin is the law. Where does sin get its power from? It gets it from the law. Sin actually exercises power over you through the law. And Paul is going to unfold that more and more, not to say, let me be clear, the law is not the issue. We were the issue. I want to be clear here. The law is not the issue. We're the issue. Now understand, when we lived and were married to Mr. Law, he would only condemn us. We were never righteous enough. We were powerless Mr. Law was not a husband that empowered us. He only revealed to us who we really were, sinners deserving of hell. Why take him back, Christian? Why go back to Mr. Law? Every time you go back to trying to live with Mr. Law, you're never good enough. The law only reminds us of who we were. It takes us back down memory lane. And every time we look back at who we used to be, we start doubting if God loves us and if he's for us and if we're righteous. Do I have some witnesses today? When you look back on who you used to be. I know y'all got amnesia this morning. But who you used to be. I'm talking about some of the things that still hunts you and handcuffs you. The things that still stop your praise. Sometimes you come in here and you say, I'm not worthy enough. Because when I think of what I used to be and what I used to do and who I used to run with. But friends, you're not who you used to be anymore. God has made you a new creature. God has transformed you. God has renewed you. Stop looking back on the past, living in your BC, you got to start living in your AD. Every time you go back to your BC, you put yourself back in shackles. You put yourself back in chains. Is this not the issue with Mr. Creed? Y'all know I was waiting on it. Here it is. Glad I got my councilman in here, just in case. This don't go the way I want it. But if you've been in tune with culture, there's been a hot boxing movie out called, called Creed, spoiler alert. And in this movie, Mr. Creed goes up against Mr. Drago, because every time I say a name, I get it wrong. Drake, Drake, uh, Drake. I'm gonna call, uh, you know, you know, I'm going to call him Drake, Mr. Drake. So every time Dra <laughs> Mr. Creed go against Mr. Drago, Drago is the son of the father who killed Creed's daddy. Creed gets destroyed in the ring by Drago the first time. But as I was watching the movie, I understood why Creed got destroyed by Drago. Because he kept looking back in the past, hoping not to fail like his father. Trying to prove to the world he was the real deal. Looking back on the past paralyzed him with fear. 
wondering if Drago would do him like he did his daddy. Fear got him smashed by Drago, but something happened in his brokenness. And sometimes God has to break us of our dependency of ourself. So he realized that he had to stop living in the past. But he didn't realize that until Rocky took him to a place where boxers could be reborn again. He had to shed the identity of his father. So Rocky took him to a place where he can be broken. And when he fought from who he was instead of who he was trying to be, he beat the brakes off of Drago. Christian, I came to tell you that in Jesus, you are a champ. In Jesus, you got the victory. Stop fighting sin from your AD, from your BC, and start fighting sin in your AD. You're already free. You're already stronger. You're already bigger. You're already better. You already got the victory in Christ Jesus. Friends, but let us understand clearly the strategy that Drago used to defeat Creed. What gave Drago punches power? Can I turn your attention back to 1 Corinthians 15, 56? The power of sin is the law. Drago would not creed out every time with the with the law, every time the law gave his power, his punches power. Why? Because of what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 14. This is what happens when we slide back into our BC. Verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, Therefore, sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Watch it clearly. In order for sin not to have power over you, you got to be under grace, and you can't be under the law. If you're under the law, sin will condemn you. But if you're under grace, the law ain't got nothing on you. Now watch this. <laughs> Paul takes us deeper into why, Dra why, why, why Drago won the fight against creed. Mr. Law and Mrs. Flesh, hyphenated law, they just can't live together. No, they, no, they just can't live together. Look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. Here's a new phrase that Paul brings up in the book of Romans that he hasn't really talked about. But you see that little phrase, in the flesh? That describes our life in Adam. For while we were in the flesh. That is not flesh, bodies, but our carnal selves, our sinful selves. You got to do a word study on the word flesh because it has different meanings. But in this context, he dealing, he's not talking about the body. He's talking about our carnal selves, our sinful selves, the spiritual me prior to God's grace. Look at this phrase, in the flesh, in Romans 8.8. 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot... Please God. There's nothing you can do in your flesh to please God. There's nothing you can do in your own power to please God. Why can't we please God? Because we are spiritually dead to God. Nothing in our flesh wants God. No matter how many rules and laws you give to those who are spiritually dead, it will not cause them to love God. You know how many dead people come to church every day? You got to drag them, don't you? You say, did you hear it? I didn't hear anything. Did you see it? I didn't see anything. Why? Because they're dead. Spiritually dead. They're in the flesh. No taste for God. They don't taste him. And you're saying, you don't, you, don't, you don't feel it? You don't see anything? And if you can't relate to him, just go back to your past. And remember, when you couldn't taste God, and people were shouting and jumping over the salvation, and you're saying, what's wrong with these people? And then God made you alive. God made you. God made you alive. Instead, when you give them God's law, no matter how much you give them God's law, with intention to make them obedient, 
it actually backfired. Now, Christians, come in very close and listen, and I'm going to show you why trying to tell people who are not saved to live like Christians is ridiculous, and to expect it is ridiculous, right? So, oftentimes, boy, girl, you need to obey God's law, but it backfires. Why? Look at the verse. He explains, what did the law do? Which were aroused by the law. Arouse is a word that means to work, to energize. These passions, our sin, our, our flesh was energized by the law. How were the passions of the flesh being energized by the law? Here it is. The law tells us what we are not to do, and what do we feel inside when someone tells me not to do something? We may see it as an eye roll or a head twist or whatever you do. The law tells us what we are not to do, but inside we feel something when someone tells us not to do something. It makes us want to do it even more. What's that about? Why do you always touch that? Ha-ha! You go figure that out. So the law actually stirs up the sin nature to act in rebellion. Let's go back to the marriage illustration to help you understand this. The law and the flesh are like oil and vinegar. And, 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 and if we see this from the lens of the marriage, they're just some married folks, no matter what you do, they just can't get along. Just keep looking at me. They just can't stand one another. You try, it's fighting in that household every night. He, he want to go left, she want to go right. He hot, she cold. I can't stand you, I can't stand you. Whatever, whatever. You got extensions, you got extensions. Whatever. I'm on that, I'm on that. This was our marriage in our AD. Mr. Law and Mrs. Flesh, hyphenated law, under the same roof never goes well. They are like oil and vinegar. And here's the thing with oil and vinegar. Uh, you cannot mix them. And even if they are mixed, they will quickly separate when given the opportunity. In other words, you may come to church and look holy and, and, and play the part, but as soon as you get out of church, that flesh going to rise up and say, hey, I'm still here. And me and law don't go together because flesh doesn't like being told what not to do. And whatever law tells flesh it can't have, well, that energizes the flesh to want it even more. There is nothing but arguing and fighting every night when we live with Mr. Law. He wanted us to do right, and we wanted to do wrong. What kind of wrong? We wanted to follow our sinful passions. Once these passions were obeyed, then the result was a life filled with the fruit of death. The fruit of death is unrighteous fruit. These are deeds that are not acceptable unto God. Isaiah 64, 6 refers to them as filthy rags. This marriage with Mr. Law was killing us, literally. And we need it out. But marriage is to death do you part. And what have I been saying? How did we get out? The only way out was to put our faith into Christ and to be identified with his death and his resurrection and to be set free from the law and the power of sin. We have been released and are now married to grace. We have Mr. Grace in our corner now. Look at the verse. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us. Come on, Paul. Held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way. Of the written code. Here's a marriage illustration here. Don't get quiet on me now. We are released from our first marriage to the law. How? Having died to that which held us captive. Our first marriage was captive, bondage, a prison. But now we are released from all that by union with Jesus on the cross. Now watch in verse 2, he uses the word release for the wife. Free from her first marriage. And used again here for the Christian released from fulfilling the law as a condition for salvation. That's a powerful picture and one we should rejoice in. 
We are free from the law and free to go and do what God wants us to do. What is freedom, pastor? What is freedom? God's grace is not freedom to sin. It is freedom not to sin and freedom to please God with our lives. We can actually for the first time beat up on sin. We finally can beat up on Drago. Why? You know what gave Creed the victory over Drago? It's because in the next fight he had Rocky in his corner. Friends, we might not have Rocky in our corner, but we got the Rock of Ages in our corner. And as long as the Rock of Ages is in our corner, we can defeat sin. Let me explain to you the difference between Drago and the difference between Rocky is Drago wanted Creed to fight from the outside but Rocky wants us to fight from the inside and when God gets down on the inside there's nothing that can stop me there's nothing that can beat me I come back a whole another man I love the way that Powell Jr. said it Freedom is an internal achievement before it is an external adjustment. And a lot of us have been adjusting things on the outside, but God hasn't rearranged us on the inside. And when God begins to rearrange us in the inside, we start fighting bigger and better and stronger and over sin because the Spirit of God is on our side. Christian, you got to get this this morning. When the Spirit of God is in the inside. He does something. Let me explain it to you. Because the word says that the seed, the incorruptible seed of God has been planted on the, in the inside. Let me explain it to you. When the gospel is preached, come all who are heavy, laden, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus said it like this. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Woe to all those who don't come to Jesus. But when the gospel is preached, the spirit comes underneath the gospel. It goes into our ears. Spirit does a work in our heart. He opens the eyes of our heart. The seed of God goes down. But when it gets in there, it doesn't stay there. You know a seed got to do what? A seed at some point it got to sprout up and this seed is not a seed that might come up it will come up. Why? Because it's the living word of God and when the living word of God gets down all we should see love, joy peace, patience, kindness goodness and self control but hold on because church folks like to shout about love, joy, peace patience, kindness and goodness but here's the thing what does love look like? Well, I'm going to tell you what love looks like. Love looks like you stop living for yourself. Love looks like you quit living for just you. Love doesn't look like selfishness. Love looks like I care about the man who ain't got nothing to eat. I care about those who ain't got nowhere to live. I care about my brothers and my sisters. Oh, yeah, pastor. Self-control, self-control. What well, do your wife see self-control in your life? Do your husband see self-control in your life? Because it's easy for us to say that we're bearing fruit. What do we do when we see our sisters being oppressed and belittled? When do we stand up? When we see injustice, something happens in the inside and it turns us away from ourselves. Let me put it the way Jesus put it. You will know a tree by its fruit. So I don't care how many hallelujahs you say. I don't care how many times you stand on your feet. I don't care how many times you say bless the Lord. I don't care how many times you say I'm highly favored. If you're nasty, you're ugly, you don't treat nobody right, no love in your life, you can be guaranteed that God is not on the inside of you. Oh, God, when he gets on the inside, I wonder what will happen if Christians really start living with Mr. Grace. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're living with Mr. Grace. We never have a conversation with him. Oftentimes we're in the household with Mr. Grace, but we've been sleeping in the other bedroom. Who am I talking to this morning? We got him for insurance reasons. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm, if we die, we may need that insurance policy to kick in. And so we're, we're, we're in the house with Jesus, but it's some, for some of us, it's been a while since we've been over in the other room with Jesus. 
to talk to him and to commune with him and to be reminded of his goodness and to be reminded of his grace. I'm trying to tell you how to get the victory this morning. If sin has been defeating you, you don't need to try harder. You need to start looking more at Jesus. But the thing I love about Jesus is even if you don't come knock on his room, God is coming to knock on your door. And he's coming because he loves you, son. And he loves you, daughter. And he loves you more than you know. Who am I speaking to this morning? Some of you need to be reminded that grace doesn't give up. Grace doesn't quit. Grace doesn't walk out. Mr. Law walked out on you. But Mr. Grace says that I'm here and I ain't going nowhere. I'm so thankful that in my mess, God kept walking with me, kept talking to me. There was times, can I preach for a minute? There was times where I slid into my AD. There was times when I got back in my sin, and here comes Mr. Grace for me, pulling me and keeping me and walking with me. God stays with you, Christian. Let me see if I can bring this all together. Here's a recapitulation. The gospel is the good news. That God, the Father, on his own initiative, not by force, sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for sinners. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The scripture is clear. That all those who believe in the Son of God will pass from judgment to life. That all of your sins is forgiven. You and God have no beef. Your charges are dropped. God is no longer your enemy. He is your friend. But he is not a friend that who has just died for you. But he is a friend that walks with you. The gospel further sanctifies us. It makes us like Jesus. So friends, understand that the gospel both kills sin and helps you overcome sin. And how does it do that? By changing who you are. That's the power of the gospel. And how do we know if we have been changed? Let me be clear. We are not trying to produce fruits to be made right with God. We produce fruits because we are right with God. And so how do I know that I am saved? I should see fruit in my life. And if you see fruit because you're holding on to Jesus, you better believe that heaven awaits you.